This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Vols. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as it will always be, I'm not going to say, barring incident. This yeah, time. you said it now. I said it. There you go. There's that. It is Lyle Fulton, and I am joined by the always brilliant Jackie Vores. Not Jacqueline DeVoe just yet, but Jackie Vores. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. Although we can dream, you know, might well be on the horizon at some point. Um, Jackie joins me as ever this fine Friday afternoon. How are you, Jackie? How have you been this week? How has your Friday been? How has your week been? My Friday has been busy with lots of meetings and a little bit of peppering of running and personal training. So, and it's only halfway through the day, really. You're making so, me feel very inadequate with the brilliant amount of training you're doing, like how committed you are to training oh. and sort of, you know, your exercise and your personal training sessions. I'm here doing none of that. I play football <laughs> occasionally, but other than that, I just kind of do a lot of active sitting down. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, but kudos to you, props to you Thank for doing all this, uh, all this training. I need as much motivation as I can get. But, you know, I've got to look good on my wedding day, haven't I? So this is true. Not long to go now. Not long now. I'm still toying with the idea of potentially doing some sort of kind of fly on the wall live podcasting uh, on the wedding day. Uh, yeah, I don't know how. A wedding pod. A that wedding pod. We toyed with the idea of doing it because when I was hosting another podcast that I've hosted in the past, a little plug, if you fancy going back and listening to it through the archives, the Quarter Life Chronicles, my friend, the lovely Duncan Mitchell, we toyed with the idea of doing one at my wedding and he was going to bring a little kind of portable microphone (laughs) and we just thought both the tech issues but also the potential for grabbing some very questionable content sort of you know in the vicinity of the microphone by accident you know while you're interviewing someone or talking to someone we were like it's maybe not worth the risk but I'm sure also you need to know that your signal's all right don't you you need to know the wi-fi's all right I mean, I'm going to Brighton College and I was struggling. I'd done all my preparation for my meeting with the Canon about all the questions I had. It was all my computer and I opened up the computer and, of course, couldn't get into Google Drive because there was no bloody signal down there. And they couldn't get any on their Wi-Fi either. So it was a bit... We're already off on a bit of a tangent. I promise, listeners, we are going to get to the topic that we're supposed (laughs) to be listening to this week. I promise we will. But typically, we're going off on the tangent early doors. You talk about questions you're asked by the canon or whoever will be officiating at your wedding you know depending on on how you decide to go about it I mean that's quite a daunting thing right because I did it I remember I did it with the priest in yeah but you're young you're younger than me I have a healthy, aged rebellion inside me now. <laughs> I wonder, well, that's fair. Hey, I mean, hey, A, doing yourself a disservice, but B, very, very well put, typically. But I mean, he asked me, he said, he asked us, by the way, me and my wife, Alice, he asked us, the brilliant um, Christopher Owen, um, who um, who officiated our wedding, he asked us, oh, have you, have you, have either of you been married before? And Alice, my wife, went, no, no, Mr. Owen. And I went, not that I know of. <laughs> and kind of typically screwed it up. And then he looked at me and went, have you though I went, no, no 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 I haven't I've no no it was a joke he was like can't go joking about that while I'm asking you these questions I was like cool cool Our I mean yeah we had we we said we both had and he went oh we I'm not going to talk to you about the stats of second marriages and how they don't generally work out <laughs> well there you go I mean one loves 
an optimist <laughs> in that particular environment, doesn't it? Don't they? I mean, that's extraordinary. I mean, but fair enough. I mean, hey, you know, you guys are going to have I a like brilliant him. day. I, I think that was, I thought it was really funny. I thought it was great. <laughs> and he's right. He's not wrong. <laughs> but the thing is, is there's a time and a place to bring up the stats. I mean, segue, segue, Claxon. There's a time and a place to bring up stats. There's a time and a place to bring things up. One imagines that there's a time and a place, listeners, to bring things up in an interview oh in an interview situation nice I mean, that's, segue. that's not bad is it i mean it's not that's my finest good. work but it's up there and listeners this week jackie and i are going to be talking about recruitment i mean not just in pr but recruitment in the wider world of work i mean recruitment in the industries that both of us have worked in throughout our careers because obviously jackie has set up her own businesses in the past which she's spoken about on recent episodes i own my own business and run my own business with a friend of mine, a theatre company, but I've been an actor in the past as well. The podcast is in and of itself a business. And we're going to talk about some of the tips we might offer to graduates looking to break into their chosen industry, the do's and don'ts of going to an interview, whether or not to narrow your focus, whether or not to sort of be quite open about what it is that you want to do. And something that we may have discussed in the past as well is that Jackie and I actually both trained at drama schools and now do all sorts of different things. So, I mean, I suppose an initial question for you, Jackie, is, you know, when you were starting out, I mean, what was your experience of graduating? Because you've got quite, like myself, you've got quite an interesting journey to talk about because you... Check past, you mean? Uh, yeah, well, more of it. Check <laughs> past is, you know, an interesting way of thinking. I didn't want to say that, you see. didn't want to catch myself out. But, hey, we'll go with check past. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm here for that because... I remember when you interviewed me, in fact, when we spoke, when I joined the company just under two years ago, you mentioned that you had trained at a drama school and gone into it with kind of performance in mind and then mm -hmm. shifted your focus at drama school. I think I'm remembering this correctly. And then that's what then drove your passion for what yeah. you've gone on to do since then. I mean, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. I think the first thing is I didn't want to go to university at all. I really did not. I liked working and I worked from a really early age and I suppose I was carved out for a bit of entrepreneurialism. I think I might have mentioned it on a previous pod, but, you know, I was making money from the age of about 10. My mother is a sculptress and she used to travel around the country selling her sculptures at big agricultural fairs like the Royal Show or Arding Lion, stuff like that. And I used to make little ceramic hedgehogs which sometimes would sell more than she would at, at a show. So I started very, very early on. And in fact, this is a story for another podcast, but I was the youngest person ever to have a bank account at my local NatWest in Haber Teeth. And many, many years later, that came back as a bonus in, in, a, in a major way when we were hit by some thievery and crime. we were featured on Crime Watch, but that's a whole other story. But anyway, you so can't I had, tease a crime watch. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, we will save it. We will save it. That sounds extraordinary. That there you go. To yeah, so, so I started working very early and, and I got the bug for making my own money. And a bit like my son now, you know, I would get my pocket money, but I would get much more of a thrill out of actually earning my own crust. So when it came around to choosing whether to go to university or not, I really wasn't enamoured with the idea at all. I just wanted to get in, do some work. And by this stage, I'd been a waitress. I'd been a commie chef. I'd been a breakfast chef. I'd done all sorts of working in retail. And I was just starting to obviously work bars. And my father kept saying to me, go to university, 
it's the you know you won't get another chance again you know you you'll go past the stage where you'd even be interested in it and it is just like a ticket it doesn't mean you have to do anything but if you treat it like a ticket that will get you to the next place if you just see it like that and I kind of kind of capitulated a bit and my obviously an early negotiator which again my son is as well which is very frustrating and I I think hats off to my father I must have been a horrible negotiator when he was when I was young I said to him okay if you're making me go to university I want to do something that I like and much to his chagrin I chose drama and theatre studies which as you know Lyle is actually a really difficult thing to get into because usually difficult to get into and very useful described Mm, I didn't know at the time I thought it would be seen as a bit more of a ditzy degree Mm. that not a lot of people would be going for but as it turned out it really was quite hard a hard thing to get into now am I pleased that I went to university well of course I got really bored of university halfway through the course I was found myself a job I was working in a local hotel I was off a permanent job after that so you know half of my university life was actually spent in this hotel and and it fed me thank god and obviously it closed me and everything else and paid my rent but I am pleased I went to university because it taught me some life skills yeah. which I would not have learned as quickly and as well if I hadn't been under in that kind of like adventure park for older adults or younger adults, sorry. Things like learning to pay rent, learning to pay bills, learning to live, to budget, to be with people, to live away from home, to really learn that raw experience of how you work through life with new people and strangers and how you become a team with some people. All that stuff you don't necessarily learn at school. And I think certainly from my observations of people that I have employed, and I've employed graduates and not graduates, and my observations of the ones who are graduates are that they've had those edges knocked off them in that, you know, they're not like children anymore. They're young people and everything else, but I I find that... People who are still living at home and haven't gone to university are still getting mum to do their washing for them and, you know, probably getting, you know, all of their bills paid for them and everything else done for them. And it doesn't help them become a little bit more worldly wise. Mm. And as I've said in podcasts before, a lot of what we do in our general careers is common sense. And you don't learn good common sense without making some mistakes and making exactly some right. mistakes. And so university is really a place where you learn some discipline to, to meet deadlines and writing and doing your exams and working under pressureful circumstances and all those things. But all those things do is they work you into being somebody who's a little bit more mentally and physically prepared for the wider world of work. Absolutely right. I mean, I think it's often kind of trotted out, isn't it? As a bit of a cliche before you go to university is like, oh, you know, go to university because it's going to teach you all of these life skills. You know, obviously your chosen career path might emanate from the degree you decide to do. And don't get me wrong, there are certain degree courses that you do that obviously lend themselves to then moving into that industry. So for example, off the top of my head, you know, people who do a medicine at university do tend to go on and work in medical professions you know but then friends of mine have done a variety of different things engineering mechanical engineering and they've gone to work in all sorts of different industries and I obviously, actually, you, know, you know I mentor students from the yeah. US 
shout out to University of North Carolina, Keenan Flagler School of Journalism. So I do do quite a lot, and I've worked with the University of Texas as well. And it's really interesting to me that students from the US are almost expected to do their degree courses as a sort of vocational courses. And they're expected to make those big life choices when they're 18 years old. Whereas in the UK, we are like, go to university, do your degree, but we're not necessarily always expecting people to carry that on into their ongoing career. And I think we're really lucky that way. And when I speak to a lot of the US students that I coach, they are all feeling a little bit like, I think I've chosen the right thing. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. And that gives them anxiety. Big time. Um, It's a very anxious time of your life, isn't it? It's an incredibly anxious time of your life anyway. And you're so right, actually. I mean, let me make something very clear. Like, I think if that would been the case over here in the United Kingdom and that had been what I ended up doing, what I started doing when I was 18 at university had been what I do now, I'd be a politician, which um, let's face it, nobody wants uh, (laughs) of me. I don't want that of myself, my family and friends, much as they think I might be quite a good one. I think you'd be a good politician. It's interesting. Well, I mean, that, that, that basically just means that you think I might be quite good at occasionally lying in a big way no, uh, no charisma no, maybe problem good people don't go into politics generally. that's the thing that no, is that's isn't it terrible that's a te- sorry sorry those good politicians i know well, there are um, my local mp is great too i mean um, but yes i mean this is the thing i mean you're so right i mean it's interesting the parallels and the similarities that can be drawn between my own experience as well actually because i can remember very very clearly that i was 18 and it was results day at my school and because it was the final year where fees were lower that was my year I went to university so the following year fees were going to go up and as a result it was kind of being labeled and billed actually builds a better word blockbuster wise as like the hardest year to get into university since universities were a thing uh, I somehow doubt that was even true <laughs> but it was being billed as that and um, as a result kind of you know offers were slightly higher it was slightly more competitive because anybody who had been thinking about potentially you know years before they were planning on going to university anyone who'd been thinking about going on a gap year decided basically not to go on a gap year and decided to kind of like reverse engineer it quite literally so they decided to kind of bring forward they're going to university and then they go on a gap year after university save themselves some money and whatever and I didn't quite get the grade to do my chosen degree course and then various teachers started circling my acting teachers at school who were like go to drama school go to drama school you don't need grades for drama school go to drama school and how I tell the story and this is always how I tell the story is that my dad kind of almost parted them like the Red Sea and kind of just scooped them all out of the way and went drama school no 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 no. he university like your dad said you know was kind of just this thing where even if you did something you just do anything but it was like a way of proving he knew really what you've just said which is that and it's kind of a nice way to move on to this actually he knew that should I decide to do an acting degree which I obviously went on and did I did a master's in acting at at Central which I loved and I'm now an actor and and it's brilliant for the most part but you know he knew that whether I decided to do that or whether I decided to go into the wider world of work having three years under your belt doing anything at a university you know a kind of respected and well-known university here in the UK would mean that it proves more than just what your grades were. It proves more than just what you learn. It proves yeah. that you can stick something out. It proves that you can look after yourself. It proves that you can 
exist with other people. It proves all sorts of things, commitment, drive, determination. I mean, is that something you've found? I mean, you said that you've noticed differences between the two. I mean, is, is are they very pronounced? Is it, is it very, very clear? It, the kind of- I wish they weren't, but they are. And I think that's why there are graduate recruitment programs from larger companies. I think that is why a lot of people do prefer graduates. And I'm not anti taking on anybody. And especially nowadays when you've got people who go on to apprenticeships and stuff like that, that is another way of showing, another way of demonstrating that you have the capabilities of applying yourself and committing to being dedicated to do your best at your career so yeah I do notice a big difference but I do also on the flip side I do notice a difference in graduates and this big the e-word as I call it entitlement and it sort of drives me a little bit crazy when I and I have come across quite a lot of graduates who think they are entitled because they have done a three-year degree and have committed themselves to quite a lot of student debt that they're entitled to a living or a special place in a workplace that really the rest of us have all been working very hard to achieve over a number of years before them and you know, I've seen horror stories, not thank God and touchwood in my own environment, but in other environments where graduates, entitled graduates have come in and been quite disrespectful to people who've put in the long hours and the long years of work and seeing themselves on a different level. And I think that's really quite important. I think it's important in life yeah. to be humble, to recognise everybody and respect everybody for what what they do Mm. and so yeah I think there's that as well that you have to be careful when you're in an interview yeah you've got to be confident but you can't be entitled absolutely right and also we're going to roll out by the way just as a warning listeners I think I think we're going to need to add a third klaxon between the quantum the dad there's now a cliche klaxon um here on on Lyle's side of the uh, podcast recording but we're going to be rolling out quite a lot of cliches but I think this one is absolutely apt and it's, it's a good first tip I think to extend to anyone who's in that position now as a graduate looking to enter whatever industry they've decided upon and, and they've they've chosen which is you're always learning And I think my friends, actually, I didn't go down the kind of graduate route, as you know. And as I just mentioned, I went to drama school and then I, which I will talk about, embarked into the Wild West that was the acting world and did all of that and did kind of temporary jobs and set up my own companies and things like that and all that sort of stuff. But if you're going through kind of a graduate process, be that, you know, an internship that leads to a job, be it a grad scheme, be it they're putting you through some extra qualifications, which some of my friends have done when they've gone into law, for example, you need to kind of, if you've not done a law degree, you need to do conversions and things like that. I'm not just saying this because they're my friends and I don't want to kind of throw anyone under the bus or anything like that. I, I do genuinely mean what I say, I'm being honest. They always looked at it from the perspective as they were always learning. You know, it was like an extension of university. However frustrating that might seem in the early knockings of that particular stage of your development, if you just see that first year or two when you're a graduate and you're entering into the world of work and you're starting out as an extension of your university education insofar as it's just a more narrowly focused, specific version of learning and version of education, not only are you going to get more out of it because you're going to learn the specifics, you're going to learn the ropes, you're going to endear yourself to your workforce. You're going to endear yourself to your higher ups. And you're going to 
garner a reputation which i think everybody would love to have of someone who is constantly striving to be better constantly striving to learn more constantly striving to grow and develop and thrive and i think you're so right i mean they exist in the acting world by the way people who think they are just destined and it's their absolute right to be you know and it could maybe that was me you know i mean maybe that was me i don't know know, there are probably people who will get in touch it'll be the most emails we've had to the rest is pr people saying you know lyle was going on about how he was never one of those no 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 i trained with him and he was awful when he graduated but no i mean i think it's would you say that's a really good top tip you know sort of to always certainly the early days to be kind of in that frame of mind i think the interesting thing is that one never talks to graduates about or people who haven't graduated as well new recruits or new potential recruits you never talk to a new potential recruit about what's on their wish list well you're always interviewing them and asking them questions and they as the interviewee are always sitting there thinking I have to prove myself I have to prove myself to get this job but I like to see people coming to an interview with a desire to learn and, and have sort of different sort of things they, they would like to achieve out of their first job. And, you know, certainly with the students that I mentor, I ask them to really think about what they want out of their career, what they want out of their job. Because let's face it, this is something that you are doing for a third of your life. You know, you are spending five days a week usually sometimes more, depending on your profession, working with people, doing a job that you need to know that you're going to, that's going to captivate you, that's going to interest you and that you want to learn more about. And I'd like to see graduates, and I say this to to the students I mentor, I like to see graduates come to me and say, I really want to learn about this. I really want to find out more about that. I really enjoy reading up about this it's not proving anything to me other than that you know they want to do something they enjoy and that's something I really do look for in in a recruit and I remember interviewing you Lyle and saying to you oh no here we go you remember this I said I'm not sure I said to you I think you'd be very good at PR I'd loved your writing for example you've done the writing test I said but I'm not sure about one thing I'm not sure you won't miss the grease paint we're gonna tell the story finally we're finally gonna tell the story (laughs) of how I joined and then kind of didn't join but then kind of still joined you're so right no you are right and it's a question I was actually going to ask you and it's good that actually I, I never really considered that it would be asked through the frame of actually me starting out but I think it's actually a really good example really good case study which is yeah the longevity element because obviously you're you're probably hiring graduates I mean I was I think an unusual case because I arrived at the door I think I was 27 at the time maybe just gone 28 in fact but certainly 27 and I was probably six seven years older than some of the people you might usually be approached by for that particular position in that particular situation but you're so right you know and I do remember you saying it quite clearly you said look this is not me toot my own horn listeners the writing all looks great your experience looks good you know I think we can mold you into something and I can sort of teach you certain things and I think you'll pick it up very quickly and that's all looking good are you sure you're not gonna miss being an actor for a bit and I like to think my answer was appropriately diplomatic, which was that I was looking for a change at the time, but you never know, basically. I was, and that's another top tip, cliche klaxon, listeners, um, honesty, you know, openness. I don't think at any point I ever pulled the wall over your eyes and went, no, no that's behind fact, me. You, you know. said, great question, because it's mm. a question I've been asking myself 
Yeah. And, you know, at the moment, I really feel like this is the change I, I want, but I mm. can't say for certain that I won't. No, exactly. And, you know, that, you know, you were very honest and yeah. I respected that honesty. And here's another tip. When you're, and I, I often say uh, in this podcast, put yourself in other people's shoes. Mm. I try to put myself in my interviewee's shoes, but I'd like my interviewees to put themselves in my shoes as well a bit and think to themselves, what am I looking for? Yeah. If I'm going to train somebody, I'm going to put some time into them. It's not just money. The people that work for Demoso aren't just wage slaves. They're a team and yeah. they're a family and i'm gonna put time and effort into explaining things that i have said maybe a thousand times before to many different people and i'll say it again to help train <laughs> and help teach people Definitely. so i would see that somebody would be around for more than two or three weeks yeah but hopefully we create an environment within demosa which is stimulating enough and interesting enough for people to stick around and certainly with you Lyle you you couldn't get out of our sticky clutches well this was it listeners so again <laughs> going fully into the story it's about time I mean this was sort of 30 plus episodes in it's about time we rip the band-aid off we just tell the story because it's actually a really good story in a way I um, actually worked full-time for Demozo for I believe six weeks I think it was six weeks I was around six seven weeks and to my knowledge, conversations were going on behind the scenes about, you know, because it was an internship, full disclosure, it was an internship where, you know, I was learning the ropes and it was paid internship, which was I was delighted about. And I had an absolutely brilliant time with the team, but conversations were kind of ongoing where it was like, yeah, we think he's kind of paid his dues. Let's get him into the fray fullish time. And meanwhile, behind the scenes, I was like, I, as expected and as Jackie typically brilliantly predicted behind the scenes, I was like, I'm missing it a bit. I'm missing the kind of the rough and tumble of, uh, of the acting world and the theatrical world. And I rang you, didn't I? I rang you up. Well, I think you might have rung me, actually. I think I texted you or emailed you and said, you know, I'm just I'm having, you know, sort of a think about things. And you rang me, which I was delighted about because actually conversation was really great and i find now i've learned a lesson actually from that two years ago have by the way another cliche another top tip have the conversation with your employers with your employees have a person-to-person -person, be it on the phone or face-to-face -face conversation because lots gets lost in translation textually via email via whatsapp via anything like that whereas you can really intonate properly face-to-face person-to-person vocally and i was delighted we had that conversation because you rang me up and it was brilliant because we were getting, you know, we still do obviously brilliantly, but we're getting on really well anyway. And you went, what's all this all about then? What's going on? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, like we, like I said in the interview with you a couple of months ago, I've just, you know, been missing it a bit. And you were like, I get it. I totally get it. I understand, you know, these things happen. I've had a bit of a feeling that, you know, there was still a calling for you out there. And you said, and I think word for word you said, but I just know you won't be gone for long and you're <laughs> not gone forever. And I said, yeah, I don't think so either. And then I think a couple of months went by and it sounds like a cliche again. And it sounds like I'm sort of blowing smoke up various places, but genuinely I went away and did a tour with my theater company listeners and, you know, did all of that and really enjoyed myself and got another acting job, which I really enjoyed and sort of did the acting thing. But a part of me, and it sounds really kind of, da, 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 sort of movie, <laughs> but a part of me was like, there's kind of some unfinished business there. And, you know, Jackie did mention that it was a freelance opportunity, you know, whenever I wanted to come back and sort of help out and contribute to the team, I could, and we could come to an arrangement and we could talk about it whenever things kind of calmed down for me acting wise. 
And the irony is, is that I didn't even really wait for things to calm down acting wise. Things were still very kind of active acting wise. And I just emailed you, I think three months after we'd had that conversation, might not even have been that and said, is that still a thing? <laughs> and I remember being sat with my dad and I sent the email and I said, oh, this is probably, you know, the, the team's expanded, I'm sure, all this sort of stuff. And I think it was 10 minutes. <laughs> I got an email back to my personal email address saying, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, let's have a chat. Great. Yeah, great to hear from you, brilliant. And I was like, cool. That's how sad I am working oh, with no. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. No, because it was like, but, but in fairness, you got straight back to me and, and, and the rest is history. But I think that's another kind of top tip as well is, is you know, that's a very unique, well, it's not very unique, but it's a unique-ish set of circumstances and situations. It is, but, but it actually highlights something hmm. that else I wanted to talk to you about. So when I'm mentoring students, I often say to them, think about what you want out of your career. And one of those things, if you can make it happen, should be how much you're going to learn and should be training. And I try to train people on the job here at Demoso. When I had my first graduate job I joined a large publishing company called VNU which we talked about on a previous podcast with we have. Ben, he was working at Haymarket and we got amazing training there we did sales training we did presentation training management training negotiation training we were paid a pittance um you know m- less than junior doctors in terms of the hours that you put in we, you know, we literally lived hand to mouth, but we got some of the best training. And I think when you're working in those kind of environments, you are looking at yourself as an asset Big for time. your long term self. So the more you learn, the better. And certainly organizations that offer you training, offer you that breadth of experience that can only go on to add to your personal value are the ones to really put that effort into. And I get very frustrated when people don't recognize the value of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're there to train you up. Yes, make you better employees for us. But we're also there to help you in your future career. And I'm always happy when people leave Demoso to go on to their next thing when I feel that they've got as much out of Demoso as they can. Big time, yeah. I find me grumbling about it when I see them going off and thinking, what a waste. What <laughs> a waste of your time because you were just about there and you could have done so much more and you could have learned so much more. And I think, you know, coming back to what you said, Lyle, just then, have that conversation if it's not working for you, Mm. even though you might be the most junior person in the organization, the last recruit, whatever, have the conversation and explain unemotionally why things aren't working for you. If you go into it with a bucket load of emotion, you're not going to get what you want. But if you think why am I upset? Why isn't this working for me? And you think deeply about it, then you will often find that the best organizations will make it work for you because they recognize that you're a good fit. So you were a good fit for us. I knew that you would miss the grease paint. (laughs) Um, When I was at VNU, it took me five years to leave there because I was in this real rhythm. Mm. I loved the rhythm of a magazine being produced. Yeah. So you'd start the month really slow, and then by the end of the month, you're all scrabbling to get the flat plan, everything laid out, editorial ads, everything placed, and then finally send it off to the printers, wrap it up, job done, move on to the next issue. 
and that that circle of life just kept me running for five years and so when I finally did leave there and I did a normal job I couldn't cope for the first six months because I had been so attuned with this you know deadline 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 so I had to create my own deadlines for things because I couldn't work and that's incredibly hard isn't it that's so hard as well because I mean I've had a very similar situation where I work for a company called the Young Shakespeare Company who I still rate hugely and still speak to the owners and the founders of that company and still do the occasional bit of work if I have time to do that and if they're in need of it. But I acted with them and directed with them and did some casting for them for five years. I mean, predates me even meeting my now wife, let alone getting engaged and and then getting married and what have you. It was just after I left drama school and again, you get into a rhythm, you really do enjoy the kind of the vim and vigor of that. And it was a very similar set of circumstances as well. It was, you know, hell for leather at times, but it was also, you know, pretty chilled out and you were kind of in charge of your own destiny. And the second you change it up and switch it up, I mean, I was going to ask you actually uh, another question about kind of the recruitment side of things. You've got a really interesting perspective insofar as you've worked for big companies, you work for slightly smaller companies you've recruited for big companies and you've recruited for slightly smaller enterprises, medium-sized enterprises like Demoso, sort of slightly smaller agencies, not in terms of their reach and in terms of the work they do, but just in terms of employee, like workforce total. I mean, is there a different set of parameters from a personal, like a human being perspective that you kind of have a preference? Do you know what I mean? Like when you were starting out, did you at VNU, because it was quite a big organization, was the rhythm you got into there, obviously there are a lot of factors, but was one of them just how big it was? And then was it then a little bit of a shift when you moved on and places you worked in weren't necessarily as big or the environment wasn't as fast paced? I mean, what's the adaptation period like, you know, when it comes to kind of moving between? Large question. It is very different working for larger organisations than it is working for smaller companies. And I, I was blessed in my early career, I got a real dousing of both. So I started off in a very large organisation and I worked my way up to management in that organisation. So I was also taught how to interview. I was taught how to ask questions about the kind of qualities I wanted. And I was also taught how to identify the kind of candidates I wanted to have for the job that I had on offer and how to match job roles to candidate qualities. So I learned all of that and I had time to learn that, which is, if I look back on it, what a luxury, what an absolute luxury to have the time. At the time I I resented it. I was like, oh God, have I got to go to training? I want to get on with this work. I'm going to go to bloody training. Oh, bit like but now, but not not the same type of training. Bit like that, <laughs> different type of training now. Oh, no, different type of training. <laughs> yeah, so I had time to do it. And I think you do, as a person, if you're a bit more of a, not a plodder, I don't want to say plodder, but a bit more methodical about the way you work larger companies are actually quite good for that because you have that you know different pace of working Mm. so it's a bit like you know you go on holiday to some places and it's manana manana with the waiter staff or you go to new york and it's like bam 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 services like that so it's a different different pace of work so i went from this corporate with this monthly cycle where it was quite fast-paced but i didn't realize at the time how much time i had straight into a smaller company where everything had to get done now 
And it was just like having to learn a huge amount of of time management and self-organization. And of course, I'd done all the notional courses in organization and time management and everything else, but I applied them at this smaller company sure, and setting myself deadlines there and everything else. So I think if you're the sort of person that needing to have a bit more fizz and a little bit more buzz and everything else, the smaller company environment will give you early responsibility and a lot more variety, I think. So it's yeah. very much the kind of person you are. Is and- it a bit like driving an automatic versus driving a manual? Hear me out. Or learning to drive. So you like your little analogies. Don't I love you? a weird analogy. I love a weird analogy, but hear me out. I think this one is quite good. I mean, there was there, I was listening back the other day, and some of them have been ropey, but I think this <laughs> one's quite good. You know, I'm not saying for a second that you graduate and joining a bigger organization is by any means a bad thing. In many ways, actually, I'd be really interested to see the stats. I think that happens more often than not. I think more often the journey is the journey you've been through, which is like you work for a bigger organization and then you not narrow has negative connotations, but I don't mean it negatively in this particular sense, in this particular context, your focus narrows in terms of what your skill set is and in terms of what you're deciding to do with your career and you go in house or you work for a smaller agency, or I've got friends of mine who've worked in audit before and they worked for one of the big houses, the KPMG, the PwC, and then they moved into kind of, doing internal stuff for companies themselves as opposed to working for an auditing franchise and auditing business etc etc you join that big business though and there are so many moving parts and potentially you have that time to go and do the training you go and find resources you get resources made available to you because it's a big organization it's a bit like learning to drive not there's anything wrong with this in an automatic car Because if you learn to drive in an automatic car, you can still drive, very ably drive. You can drive for the rest of your life in an automatic car. But if you learn in an automatic, you can only drive an automatic car. That's the law. Smaller organizations are like manual cars. If you learn to drive in a manual car, you can drive both cars. I wouldn't agree with that. Do you not know? I'll tell you why. Okay. Because I think you can shift across from small to large, large to small. Cool. And... I think that, you know, I would always say learn a stick shift car before you learn the automatic car anyway. Anyway, that's a top tip. And I wouldn't say to people, (laughs) oh, you must start in a small business and then move up to a large business or vice versa. Mm. I'd like people to look at themselves. Sure. Just think more about what they are like as an individual. And, you know, do they want rapid advancement? You're not going to get rapid advancement in a large organization unless you are a ridiculous superstar, like super business genius. It's just not going to happen. And even then, because, you know, it's huge. There's processes, there's appraisals equally in the public sector. You have to go and interview for your next role or a promotion and that kind of thing. So you have to think about what kind of person am I? What do I want out of my career? Do I want to commit to a long time of public service? Great. Public sector work might be really good for you. Do I want to have rapid advancement? Do I want to, you know, get as much experience crammed in as quickly as possible so I can start my own business? Maybe a small business is for you. That's where I learned all my really solid. So I learned all of my very good, basic skills like negotiation and presentation from the larger company but I learned my raw practical entrepreneurial experience from working in small business 
So business itself is just like a car. And as long as you can drive a manual car, then you can do it all. You know, you can do it all. You can move between. Yeah, because obviously, you know, you're never going to then kind of drive a manual car and then move to an automatic car and then never drive a manual car again in your life. You know what I mean? So I mean, we started doing this podcast to give people tips and hints about, you know, recruitment and see recruitment from a recruiter's perspective or see it from that, you know, have a think about it from when they're looking to get jobs. And we've really not even got to the interview stage when we talked about that sort of very cerebral approach to what do you want to do? So at the end of all of this, somebody might turn around and go, I don't know what I want to do. How am I going to get a job when I really don't know what I want to do? And I was one of those people. So what we didn't talk about, Lyle, was when you left with your acting degree, you were so good at acting that you got acting jobs. You worked for the Young Shakespeare Company. You are a successful actor i was crap at acting and so no it's true i really was um i thought i was great when i went there but i really wasn't compared to other people on my course as they would attest to so i moved into lighting and sound which i was quite good at although nick firth who is my tutor would probably disagree with that anyway and nick I listening, did and I know you I are first in my lighting lighting and sound as part of my degree so anyway but I was really crappy. And so at the end of it all, I really, I tried to get a job in lighting and sound in the theatre. And at the time, it was a very, very male dominated profession. And they didn't want girls because girls, as I got told at one of my interviews, would be on the blob for one week out of four. And uh, would be distracted and not be able to do the work. And I got told that at an interview. Oh. So... um no, I couldn't get in. I just couldn't find a way in to do lighting. So I needed a job. And so I just went to a graduate recruitment fair. And there's another funny story about it. But I eventually ended up at VNU. Did I come out of the womb wanting to be in ad sales for a computer publication? Definitely not. Am I delighted that I actually got that opportunity? 100%. It was the best yeah. year of my life. But I wasn't exactly the best years of my life. Sorry, husband-to-be. These are the best years of my life. Anyway, <laughs> um, but you say it. I didn't know what I wanted, but I did know what I wanted to experience. I wanted some training. Yeah. I wanted to be in London. I wanted to be with a load of people of my own age. And that was about it. And I didn't really have anything else over and above those desires. But at least I knew that I wanted some training. That's it. But if you just need one thing, if you just want one thing, then, you know, you're at least you're going down a, a line. And then the other thing I would say is, and this didn't happen when I was trying to find a job, but it does happen a lot now. Get internships. Yeah. You know, there are, and that's Experience. Really yeah. There are so many different types of professions offering internships, whether you're a graduate or not, to come and find out what it's like, come and work. I pay my interns. Some people do not. And I don't even think it's, I think it's illegal now, isn't it? Not to pay yeah. interns. You, you, should, you should really. should yeah. pay. You should always get paid. So just beware. If people are saying, oh, it's just work experience, not an internship, be careful. But yeah, so, but I've always paid my interns, even when it wasn't legally necessary. Yeah. And I think it's really important to pay your interns a very good wage as well, because they're, they're still doing a really good job of work for you. Well, I was doing some pretty, some pretty key stuff. I mean, like not, not top level things, but I was, you know, really part of the mechanism. You know, I was really, 
was being asked to do some stuff that was like crucial to kind of get across to clients. I think the only things I weren't doing, I was in meetings, but the only things I wasn't doing was sort of client facing stuff as in like kind of face to faces to make decisions. But then once decisions were made, I was then actioning the decisions that were made, which as an intern, I was delighted by because you really felt part of the the moving parts, which I which I loved. I really enjoyed that. I think that's the other thing. You know, what do you expect out of a job? In a, in a smaller company, you could be shadowed by somebody like me who could go, okay, Lyle, give that a go. I'll read it over afterwards. Let's, you know, let's work on this together. In a larger company, you might well have to go through a little bit more of the grunt jobs before you get a little bit yeah. more um, responsibility. So it is, it's quite important to work out if that's the sort of thing you want. And then, you know, we haven't even touched on interviews. Maybe we should do another pod purely dedicated to interview techniques and the hints and tips of what to do there. I was going to say, I think that's an absolutely brilliant idea. I think we'll do that very, very soon indeed. Not only to go through interview tips, tricks, techniques, top tips and things like that to do with interviews, but also just to hear about this uh, first interview you ever did and this graduate fair, uh, because we kind of breezed over that, I think, somewhat conveniently but i'm really excited to hear that but also i just want to hear the crime watch story uh which i'm going to write down <laughs> i want to hear this crime watch bank account story which sounds absolutely crazy really good story that's a good story that's that's definitely going in the next one like that's it i've made a note in 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 so far as i ever make notes during podcast recordings that's gone right <laughs> up here and i'm going to write it down if i can if i can find anything we're going to bring it to a close there uh for this particular episode because i think we've really sort of started touching on something really cool there when it comes to the sort of the early knockings of recruitment and decisions you're going to go and make graduates or people looking for jobs further down the line and some tips that Jackie and I can offer in terms of our own experiences but I think you know just to close this off I mean we really touched upon this idea of being open to everything being open and being honest to everything we talk a lot about integrity we talk a lot about authenticity in the podcast through a number of topics that we discuss but it's never truer those things are never more prominent and more important than when you are looking for a job and looking for what you want to do being open two opportunities being honest with yourself being honest with prospective employers about everything do you know what i mean I, quite literally it sounds like a cliche but it's true you know had i not been honest in my interview with jackie listeners by saying i just don't know the answer to that particular question we might not be here now because even as early as that before i'd even signed anything there was an appreciation on jackie's side that there was always the possibility of that. So it was always in the back of Jackie's mind. It was always there. It was always kind of in the ether. And that made the conversation further down the line so much easier. And the rest is history. Here we are now. I mean, the rest is PR, isn't it? Quite frankly, <laughs> the rest is PR. There you go. But listeners, we'll bring this one to a close. Thank you so much for joining us on this latest episode of The Rest is PR. A few T's and C's as ever, barring instant. As ever, I will always do this. If you would like to get in touch with The Rest Is PR, you can email us at info at therestispr.com. You can follow us on Twitter at The Rest Is PR, capital T, capital R, capital I, capital PR. Simple as that. Search for us on Twitter. We'd love to have you follow us on that platform. You can also message myself or Jackie on LinkedIn, Lyle Fulton, Jackie Vores, not Jacqueline DeVoe yet. Uh, if you search for those, on linkedin and drop us a message we've had some great requests so far we've had some great messages some great interest in coming on the podcast so that's really picking up so that's great to hear and you can also email us on info at demozo.com and speaking of demozo if you want to hear what demozo have been up to recently and there is a lot going on i spoke to jackie before we went live and it's it's all go it's all happening at demozo then you can head over to demozo.com jackie same time next week possibly on interviews who knows what do you what do you reckon definitely so time next week 
I've just been, my chair has been gradually sinking down. I noticed this. <laughs> you started to sink and it was like, she was, listeners, if you're watching us on YouTube, you'll have seen it and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. But listeners, I'm just going to describe it. I was going through my T's and C's and it was as if my T's and C's was like deflating Jackie. <laughs> it was like, in a way it's never done before. She just sort of disappeared. Bless you. I was just like, it's so weird now. You relative to the microphone, it was happening. I mean, a good time to call it there because we're having some technical issues with the chair. Um, but yeah, we will see you same time next week, listeners, for another exciting instalment of The Rest is PR. But with Jackie slightly lower than she was when we started the episode and myself, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. It's bye for now. <laughs>